They stayed long in that good house, 14 days at least, and they found it hard to leave. Bilbo would gladly have stopped there forever and ever. Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 86. Thank you for joining us. Although no elves make an appearance in this episode, Bilbo's thoughts on Rivendell certainly call to mind the experiences that Magdalen College President Dr. Ryan Messmore describes when speaking about Magdalen College, which he calls the Rivendell of the Newman Guide Colleges. We hear about the college's idyllic setting in New Hampshire, the beauty and richness of their liberal arts education, and also about the intimate community that allows students to be drawn into the welcoming families of their faithfully Catholic faculty and staff. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Many families choose Colby Academy for their child's education because they value a dynamically Catholic and rigorous academic experience. When the Colby years come to an end, for those students who are called to attend a college or university after high school, it's important to choose a school with those same priorities. To help with this search, Colby has instituted a college partnership program to familiarize students and families with some of the top Catholic higher education programs in the United States. Today, Stephen and I are speaking with Dr. Ryan Messmore, president of Magdalen College in New Hampshire, one of Colby's college partners. Welcome to the Colby cast, Dr. Messmore. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. We've been really looking forward to visiting with you. We've heard a lot about you from Dr. Almanzar, who teaches at Magdalen. And so it's, I'm so glad that it's our turn to talk to you today. We'd love to get to know you a bit and hear about your recent arrival at Magdalen and more about your family and whatever else you'd like us to know about you. Uh, terrific. Well, uh, I've I've been looking forward uh, to this as well. So thank you for uh, for the opportunity. Sure. Uh, I am new to to Magdalene, as you say. My family and I moved uh, to New Hampshire this past summer, so we've been here for about six or seven months now. Uh, most immediately from North Carolina, but then prior to that, we were living in Australia. So uh, wow. we are getting paid back for all of the uh, the warm weather that we got to experience <laughs> down under uh, for for so many years. But we, uh, we were led here uh, because of the mission of, of Magdalene College. Uh, my wife and I, for several decades now, even going back from before we were married, uh, just had a sense of calling to uh, this sort of um, small, residential, uh, faithful, Christ-centered liberal arts education. And... Um, I've been pleased and, and, and privileged to have had work experience that that ticks off some of those boxes. Uh, Magdalene ticks off all of them. Um, yeah. Just what what a wonderful thing to have a, a dream come true where where you feel like your life has been preparing you for you know for a certain experience. Um, and and that's that, that's to spend every day helping to uh, shape uh, young people uh, to to love what is true, good, and beautiful in the Catholic tradition, reading the, the best books that have ever been written, wrestling with the biggest ideas that human beings can wrestle with, and really preparing students uh, to, uh, to go out into the, their next phase of life well-prepared and, and well-equipped to, uh, to serve God in whatever he calls them to do. So 
Magdalene does that in a unique way, uh, in a beautiful setting. And uh, so here we are uh, in, in, you know, two feet of snow uh, in the middle of winter in New, in New England uh, and just loving it. Good, good. That's quite the route you've taken to get there. Wow. There's a recent Cardinal Newman Society feature on Magdalene College. Yes, we've been featured recently in, in Cardinal Newman Society and, and also in uh, the Seton uh, magazine. Um, Great. But uh, yeah, the, the one in Cardinal Newman Society was an interview, uh, a co-interview that, that I did with uh, Dr. Tony Esselin, who is a, a professor and writer in residence here um, at Magdalene College. Uh, it's always fun to get to work with uh, with Tony. And uh, so we were uh, we did a joint interview with the Cardinal Newman Society. I will be sure to link that in our show notes for our listeners to enjoy. We we had a great time visiting with Dr. Esselin on the Colby Cast episode twenty eight, and I'll link that as well. That's going back a bit in our in our archive, but it'll be fun to listen to that one again and revisit. That was a fun conversation. So it sounds like an exciting time for Magdalene. Lots going on with your arrival, and lots of new things happening. I'd love to hear more about those. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Magdalene is is just a wonderful blend of of, of the new and the old, uh, the fresh and the classic. A couple uh, things that that we've been uh, launching uh, this year is uh, to really get our students engaged with the local community. Uh, Magdalene is located in Warner, New Hampshire, a very small town, a quaint New England village. And uh, we want our students to be a part of of that community. We want that community to feel welcomed in and and, uh, appreciated by the college. So we had uh, during the uh, the Fall Foliage Festival, uh, which is a kind of a, a, a well-known festival in in October when people from all over come to um, to watch the leaves uh, turn uh, colors, beautiful uh, colors uh, here in New Hampshire. Uh, that our, our hometown of Warner uh, puts on a, a festival, and there's music, and there's food, and there's competitions, and there's parades, and and so we. Uh, We've taken that on as a sponsor and our students uh, sing and participate in, in other ways in that. And we, we decided this year to take advantage of, of that opportunity and, and to go for a, a trifecta. So not only did we have an open house during that weekend, but we also had our parents weekend and we had an alumni reunion uh, all on the same weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we culminated that weekend by uh, consecrating the campus uh, to the Blessed Trinity, uh, which was just a really special moment. I am a, a Trinitarian scholar myself. I'm a triplet, which might have something to do with it. Uh, <laughs> ever since we consecrated uh, the college to the Blessed Trinity. We've 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 been experiencing some some pretty awesome blessings uh, from the Lord. So uh, that's been neat. Uh, we've also instituted what uh, what my wife and I call a pasta with the president. Uh, so there's a tradition uh, at Magdalene of uh, the president uh, welcoming students into the presidential uh, residence. Uh, sharing food, sharing a message. Uh, that's one of the things that that we enjoy most about this vision of education. And, and we wanted a small enough college that you can do that with. So twice a month, we have uh, students over. My wife cooks a big uh, vat of pasta and I'll either send out a reading or raise a question and we'll just dive in. And it, it's just a wonderful 
uh, way to get to know the students and uh, to promote the mission of, of the college of uh, helping to to shape them and, and to wrestle with these uh, these really transformative ideas and to do so with a wonderful home cooked meal. So uh, that that has been a lot of fun. New this year, uh, at least recently, is um, we've uh, we have a pond on campus and we froze the pond to create a skating rink. Uh, Dr. Almazar had, has been instrumental in that, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, we've got ice skating, we've got hockey, uh, we've got you know snow sculpture competitions uh, going. It's uh, I'm I'm used to snow melting after after a day <laughs> or two. So you race out and you take advantage of it while you can. Okay. Here I'm, I'm I'm beginning to get used to the fact that once it snows, that snow stays there for a couple months, and then the <laughs> snowfalls just build upon each other. So it's it's just a winter wonderland here, and um, we have a, a neat uh, partnership with a a ski slope about uh, 25 minutes away from campus where our students get to go uh, skiing for free. They get free lift passes and they get $10 rentals. Uh, For those who have been skiing, you know what an expensive endeavor it can be. Uh, So that's just fantastic. So uh, starting in February, starting this month, we're going to have some of our pasta with the president meals over at the ski lodge which will be a lot of fun. Uh, so we're, we're leaning in uh, to, uh, we're embracing our, our mountain home here in New Hampshire. Sure sounds like it. Jordan was showing me some of the, the videos when we were on a, a meeting of the, the skating rink that you just kind of fixed up and it was, his kids were out skating around, but it was, it looked fantastic. It was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's developed a little homemade Zamboni uh, contraption that <laughs> puts new water and smooths the ice and it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's wonderful it's, it's really neat to have that in our own backyard that's fantastic it's almost like living in a snow globe a bit having the snow <laughs> remain like that it's a, it's a foreign to my experience okay well that all sounds really enjoyable and such the combination of the academics and the great books program and the the studies that the students are undertaking plus the opportunities to experience all that the area has to offer what it, what a one experience it just sounds wonderful it's pretty unique have you identified some goals for the college that you're working toward that you would like us to know about yeah i mean i you know my my goal is for uh, magdalen college to become known as um, as the rivendell of the newman guide mm-hmm. uh, it, when if if you'll remember uh, rivendell from the lord of the rings uh, it was this this enchanted place in in the woods it, it, it was a place of beauty it was a place of music um, it was a place of learning uh, a place of memory where relics of the past were kept alive and honored for people of middle earth and, and and the elves who who lived in that region to to know their own their their own story and and it was a place where the fellowship of, of the ring formed to enable uh, the journey from there to uh, to mordor and Let's be honest, sometimes um, heading out into our culture today uh, as a faithful young Catholic trying to uphold uh, traditional values and engage in important questions, sometimes that can feel like heading into Mordor. (laughs) There's a lot of a lot of uh, our culture that feels antagonistic in that regard. I, I view Magdalene as a place of that sort of fellowship um, where students, you know, prior to heading out uh, to face the, those challenges of the world, they can come here on, on the side of this mountain for four years. Um, they can engage in reverent worship. 
Uh, they can engage in intellectual fellowship. They can uh, study the, the classic texts, uh, memorize the classic poems, learn the classic uh, chants and hymns, uh, and be reminded of ancient liturgies. And, um, and they can form a fellowship uh, with each other, with their professors, with uh, the president and his wife during pasta with the president meals. Uh, that is formative for them to be able to go out and and take on the world. It, 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 it's a unique time away. It's it's very formative and it focuses on the entire person. And that's what Madeline has been doing for almost fifty years now since our founding is really focusing on shaping the entire person and to do so um, in an enchanted way. And so I. I just the learning that we offer is enchanted learning. But that, that just seems to lend itself uh, to the image of Rivendell. And I, I think um, it's, it's captured my heart and my imagination, uh, as well as uh, those of the students here. And it's something that, that, that we want to share with many others. It seems like you've really captured two super important things as far as formation there. It was what you're talking about with both that kind of a little bit of stepping away from the world in order to be able to to focus, I mean, especially with these great things that you're studying, you need the time and the, the, the leisure, the leisure to uh, to be able to really focus on those without being distracted by everything going on in the world. But but also I love what you're talking about with the fellowship as far as being small enough that, you know, here are these students who are just leaving, like Colby students will be leaving their homes for the first time, often many of them, they're, they're, they spent all of their education at home. Now they're going out at a college. They're not really quite ready to just do it on their own for the most part. So an environment like Magdalen, where you can go have dinner at the president's house and get to know the faculty well, that seems like a fantastic step, as you're saying, to, to begin that journey, but begin it with real mentors and people who are going to help them make that transition from high school over to adulthood. Right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the model of our Lord, right? Uh, when, when he was wanting to spread the good news a, a, you know, across the world, he chose the model of a small, close-knit uh, group of disciples. Uh, he poured into them over several years, forming a fellowship, um, studying together, reading together, eating together, living all of life together. Um, and... Um, you know, I think the small, I think the small size uh, is is important uh, there. I, I don't think that's just um, happenstance. I, I I was very struck when I discovered that every uh, church that the Apostle Paul wrote to in the New Testament uh, had a membership of about fifty people or less. Um, that's that's significant. Why is that? Why why is it not? You know, uh, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. A, a large, you know, 40,000 uh, person church or slash campus. Um, well, I, I think it has to do with with the the potency of that sort of small, close-knit community to form relationships, uh, to change people uh, deep down in their core, and, and to cultivate trust. And education has so much to do with trust. Uh, you have to trust uh, your professors, to guide you into new areas that may seem uncomfortable at first. Uh, you have to, to trust that they want the best for you. You have to trust your 
your your peers uh, in in terms of stewarding your time in class well, uh, asking the right questions, taking your questions seriously, um, and that that is easier to do in a, in a place where you are are known and you know each other by name. Uh, you live all of life together. Out you walk outside of the classroom, and it's it's not that you'll never see that person again, and so you're not going to invest. You're going to go have lunch with them. You're going to pick up the uh, the broom and sweep off the ice skating rink with them. Uh, you're going to call upon them when you get sick and you need somebody to take notes. Uh, you're going to go together to get um, you know dinner at the at the grocery store. Wh- whatever it may be, um, life together is, I think, the most powerful mode of transforming education. And 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 Magdalene just kind of lends itself so well to that. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I remember, I think it was, I was reading Malcolm Gladwell, and I believe the number he put out was 150 is kind of the maximum people you can get within any sort of community where you can actually know everybody. And then beyond that point, you essentially, whether you do it intentionally or not, kind of segment yourself into these different populations then because you can't know everybody there any longer. So that seems very important to, when you're all sharing that that same mission, the same goals, to be able to know everyone, to come together. And it also provides that opportunity as a Christian to work through some, you know, I grew up in a small town and I went to a small school as well. But you have to learn to get over those difficulties you have with people as as well. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That, and that's one of the most, to be honest, that's, that's one of the most important things you can learn at college is, is how to, to engage in those human dynamics and, and to resolve conflict and to work together as a team. And um, because that's what you'll be doing for the rest of your life. Right. Um, better to go to a place that's going to uh, think intentionally about how to prepare for that. Absolutely. That has to make such a difference for the alumni of Magdalene and schools like it, where this intentional community is, is so valued. It, if that is the standard there, they take that with them going forward into the communities they enter and form with their families and their parishes and their workplaces and whatever space they inhabit that that they bring that approach to it that they're looking to to forge those connections and and walk alongside their the people in their circumstances at that point that that is so valuable right yeah. it sounds very fortifying as well as formative it's fortifying them for what's to come right we're very blessed I understand that Pope St. John Paul II is a co-patron of the college. He is. He has a special place in my heart. How did he come to be a co-patron of Magdalene? Yeah. I, I had a, a special appreciation for uh, John Paul II before I, I came to Magdalene. But when I got here, um, just the, the the sense of fittingness between he and, and the college is, is, is just so perfect. If you think about John Paul II, he loved the things we love. He loved philosophy, theology, poetry, literature. Um, he loved studying figures like Plato, Aristotle, Augustine, Aquinas. Uh, that's who we spend our time on. And uh, you know, I can, I, I, one of the favorite images in my my head is just kind of picturing John Paul II and uh, Tony Esselin. Uh, in a class at Magdalene, just, you know, getting, getting excited and getting each other excited about, uh, you know, Aquinas and Dante and, 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 and some of these beautiful, um, 
you know, lyric poems uh, that, that we have the students read. So, so first of all, in terms of our, the bread and butter of our education, I think he's a good fit. He also, as you know, he, he had a, a special heart for young people. Um, he created World Youth Day uh, when he would walk into, you know, an arena like in Madison Square Garden in, in 1979. Teenagers would would cheer, John Paul II, we love you, John Paul II, we love you. And he would, he would yell right back, woo hoo hoo, John Paul II, he loves you. I mean, he just had this way of connecting uh, with young people. And uh, that's that's who we uh, have our focus on too. We, we love young people. We care about them deeply, their, their hopes, their dreams, their struggles, their ideals. Um, and we like uh, him. We, we believe that they're the future of the new evangelization. Um, but also he, you know, I, I came to appreciate more when, once I moved here, uh, what an outdoorsman uh, John Paul II was. Um, he loved hiking. He loved kayaking. Uh, those are uh, central uh, co-curriculars uh, at, at Magdalene. But most importantly, he loved skiing. Uh, upon being elected pope, um, he was being walked down to uh, the crowd to, to be introduced outside the Vatican for the first time as the pope. And he, he caught the eye of, of a well-wisher and he turns in that kind of very profound moment and uh, he said, I, I still uh, intend to ski if they'll let me. And so, you know, that was one of, the, one of the most important things he wanted to make sure he can continue to do as Pope was to ski. So he would be at home, at, right at home, um, at our mountainside campus. And um, he also loved the theater. Uh, he wanted to be um, an actor when he was growing up. So, you know, participating in our uh, St. Genesius uh, Players Club, we put on Shakespeare plays and other plays uh, each year. We actually put on one of his plays, uh, John Paul II. He, he was a playwright, among other things. Uh, so, you know, just uh, the more that you live the life of a Magdalene student, and then the more that you learn about John Paul II, there's just this beautiful symmetry and... Um, you know, I, I would say the final thing is uh, just his safeguarding of Catholic doctrine, of, of orthodoxy. John Paul II loved the Eucharist. Um, he did a lot of his own personal writing in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And when I walk into our chapel uh, for adoration and I see, uh, you know, all the lights are down except some spotlights, which cast a shadow of the montrance onto the back wall where the crucifix is and the crucifix of Jesus is, is there silhouetted in the middle of the shadow of the monster. It's just, it's such a powerful thing. I just think, I, I think, I just think of kind of elbowing them next to me and just saying, isn't this, isn't this amazing that we get to, to be in the presence of this? Um, I think he would love the reverence of our liturgies, um, daily mass, uh, adoration, confession, our feast days. Today we were um, celebrating uh, the Feast of the Purification with a, a candle procession uh, around the campus. Um, and I, I just think he would eat that up. You can see him now. That beautiful smile. You can see it. I had right. this minute when you were describing the skiing, I was thinking about him on the mountainside. There are lots of pictures of him out with, with youth on, on in those surroundings. And I, I just, I could see him right there. Yep. All right. All right. He, he and I have spent lots of time together in the past six or seven months. <laughs> <laughs> it's neat. He's, uh, 
he's hanging in my office there he is <laughs> he's a good friend to us yeah well, I can imagine him there now. And uh, what else would you say Colby students would find appealing about the college? You have a number of Colby alumni who are students of Magdalene currently, correct? So, what would they tell their their Colby students coming up behind them? What what they like about Magdalene? Yeah, I think that um, when when we ask that sort of question, uh, the answer that we always get is the the personal community. Uh, that this is not just a place to learn. Uh, it's a place to live, a, a place to live your entire life for four years. Um, you know, you can, students can can study, they can learn uh, at any college, but would, would you prefer to do that in a big library or in a big, you know, tiered classroom or curled up on a couch in the student lounge uh, with a great book? Uh, you know, that, that's the sort of student that, that, that uh, comes to Magdalene and appreciates Magdalene. Um, you, you could debate and discuss important ideas if, 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 if given the opportunity in, in, in any classroom. But would you prefer to do that with strangers who, who you won't see in your next class? Or would you prefer to do that with friends who you can continue to have the conversation with at dinner, you know, afterwards? Um, you, you can look up answers to, to questions all throughout life, especially in college. But, but would you prefer to do that on the internet or were you, would you prefer to do that on a walk with a friend uh, on a trail in the snowy woods? So just everything that, that Magdalene represents is, is, is this sort of pregnant community of learners uh, who love learning together, who love asking questions, who know each other well, who trust each other well, and who are guided and mentored by professors who in invest personally uh, in them. And we've, we've had students go away from Magdalene when they get you know, to their junior year and they want to major in something that we don't offer a major in, and only to come back uh, to Magdalene kind of saying, uh, I was just kind of on my own pursuing a, you know, a, um, a, a title on a diploma, whereas here it, it's alive, it, it's a living, it, it, it's a place, um, it's a place to be, uh, to be among friends, to be with great authors and texts, to be with God. Uh, it's a place to be a better person. And, and that I, I think that's the sort of student we're looking for and the, the type of student who, who really thrives here. We're not for everybody. I mean, we are a small community. We, we don't have a football team. So if, if, if students are looking for, you know, the, the big arena or they're looking for the, the Saturday night fraternity party or they're looking for, you know, very specific career-oriented majors, we're, that's not who we are. We want a small learning community that wants to know what does it mean to be human and how can we become better humans together? And that, that's, that's Magdalene. Certainly. I mean, we have experience with Dr. Elmanzar and our students would, would testify how engaging he is as a teacher. And we also have experience directly, I guess, with, with Dr. Esselin. But I've heard from, from Jordan that uh, that's, that kind of captures the spirit of, of the entire faculty, that they're very engaged and interested in the students. And so it sounds like that's an exceptional quality of Magdalene as well. It's just the quality of your, 
your faculty. Yeah, it really is. Uh, we are we kind of punch above our weight in terms of the quality of faculty that we have, given our size. But those um, those things you just mentioned, th- those are the priorities that we look for when hiring. So we we don't necessarily uh, prioritize the applicant who has published the most articles or written the most books. We're looking for the sort of person who's committed to the Catholic faith and who are committed to teaching students, who love teaching students, who get animated by it, who are willing to spend uh, time to open up their families to students. That's the sort of person that we've kind of over the years gathered here uh, to serve. You know, Tony Eslin could be teaching anywhere, uh, much bigger places, much more well-known places. Um, he's giddy at the opportunity to, to be with these students who have come here for the reasons uh, that, that we were just talking about, uh, for the right reasons. And hearing him describe his experience on his episode, just interacting with the students at Magdalen, and then his experience with homeschool alumni coming to college, that how they do when they when they come to class, and his interactions with them, how how highly he spoke of them. Yeah. It all sounds very persuasive. And Dr. Eslin is teaching a course this semester at Magdalen, but open to Colby students. It sounds like it's off to a great start. Yeah, this is a very exciting partnership that Magdalen College has has entered into with uh, Colby Academy, and uh, we're kind of launching that with Tony teaching a, a course um, online to Colby students, reading uh, the literature of uh, C.S. Lewis. I mean, what what more could you ask for? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Um, reading the Great Divorce with Tony Esselin. I mean, it's just um, wow. Yeah, it's it's exciting. I think your son may be uh, yes. in that class too. Yeah. yeah, he was He was talking specifically about how it was like, he was kind of awestruck, I guess, a little bit at the beginning with how much uh, Dr. Eslin would draw out just kind of his in presenting or, or part of the material, but then also engaging all of the students where it was a very active learning as well. So he said it's been fantastic experience and he's certainly uh, certainly looking forward to going through all of those fantastic works with them. What an yeah, what a treat. What a treat. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. My, my wife, actually, when she saw this going out, she's like, you have to do this. You have an opportunity <laughs> to go through C.S. Lewis with Dr. Eslin. You need to do this. And he right. was he was persuaded right away. But, uh, no question. but yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. I wish I had had that opportunity when I was in college or high school. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. Well, we are recording this during Catholic Schools Week, a nationwide celebration of, of Catholic schools and, and what Catholic education means. So let's turn our attention and I'd love to hear your thoughts on Catholic education and the liberal arts, Dr. Messmore, and the combination of them. Sure. I grew up Protestant and uh, came to the conviction that kind of the, the, the inheritance of, of truth, goodness, and beauty are found um, in, in the Catholic Church. And that is what, lo and behold, the liberal arts uh, is all about, is to trying to help cultivate within students, not just an understanding of truth, goodness, and beauty, but a longing for it, a passion for it, a deep desire for it. And uh, the, the Catholic Church is, is where those two wings of, <laughs> of, of, of the dove, as 
John Paul II describes it, uh, come together, faith and reason, the, the intellectual contribution of the Catholic Church married with the beauty and the enchantment of the liturgy and the, the sacred music and the history of art. We, we have an iconography class at Magdalene. We have one of the leading uh, iconographers come on, on the weekend and teach our students about this tradition and actually teach them how to, uh, to draw icons. Wow. And just what a, you know, what a wonderful thing. So mm-hmm. if, if the mission of your college is, is to form the whole student, then you need uh, that college to be grounded in the the reservoir of of, of all of these things where, where where they where they come together and are unified and and that's that's the Catholic Church. The other thing is that you don't have you don't have to risk being canceled here. <laughs> you know? uh, we uh, we're clear about what what we stand for, about what we believe. It's the same thing that the church has believed in for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's, it's clearly argued and justified and it stood the test of time. And we're not going to, you know, in five or 10 years decide that some of the, these basic realities of what it means to be human or male and female and these sorts of things now all of a sudden are up for grabs. We're just not. We, we've got a much deeper groundwork to stand on than, than most people in our society today. And boy, you see the winds blowing, they're blowing fierce. And a lot of people without that grounding are falling over. Um, and we're, we're deeply rooted and we're standing strong. And so that, I, I think it's important for, for parents and students to know that this is, um, this is a place of true freedom uh, because we believe that there's a true telos of the human being. And, and we believe that that's been revealed in and through the Catholic Church. Um, in terms of the liberal arts, the liberal arts are, are the arts that are liberating. They're the arts that, that are necessary in order to pursue and achieve the ends that human beings were created for. That is not simply getting a job. Uh, that is not simply utilitarian knowledge that you can uh, trade for an income. Uh, but to really flourish as a human being is to be able to think well, to love well, uh, to, to discern, to work with other people in community. And these, these are what the liberal arts uh, do. They don't train you for one particular job. They train you to be the sort of person who can go into any field that God calls you and quickly learn how to succeed in that field. And thus you get included within it the ability to earn a living. Um, in fact, you know, if you look at uh, over the long term of a career, not just the first job, but if you look at the fifth job and the seventh job and the 10th job, those people who end up making the highest income on average are liberal arts graduates. That's not necessarily the case coming out of the gate, but over the course of a career, those are the sort of people that tend to rise to positions of leadership uh, because they've learned how to think They've learned how to think creatively. They've learned how to work with people. They're not trapped in a, in a single career track or a single way of viewing the world. Uh, they're able to, to combine different uh, ways of knowing such that they can uh, b- become more successful. So I'm, I've been an advocate of, of the liberal arts for years. Uh, again, it's time tested. This is the way that 
Aristotle and Plato and Dante and Augustine and Aquinas were all educated. And those are the, the teachers. Those are the professors of our students at, at Magdalene College of the Liberal Arts. So I, I, I'm completely on board with liberal arts education. Um, it, I, was, I was just thinking, you know, it used to be that when you got out of high school or got out of college, you get in a job and that would be the job you'd work for you know, the rest of your life, potentially. So you'd work your way up or whatever, 30, 40 years at one job. Almost nobody does that anymore. No, in fact, I mean, you're absolutely right. And and there, there was a recent study done on this. Um, do you know what the, the average college graduate today, do you know how many jobs they can expect to have over the course of their life? I don't, but I <laughs> guess it's going to be around a dozen. Yeah, 17 different jobs, wow. five different careers. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yogi Berra, you know, once said that the future ain't what it used to be. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we tell our students the future that you can expect graduating from college is simply not the future that my parents I- expected when they graduated from college. You're absolutely right. Work for the same mm-hmm. company. Uh retire 40 years later with a golden watch. And that was it. Mm-hmm. One career, mm-hmm. one job, one company. Today, it's it's an average of every five years, you're changing uh, jobs, sometimes careers, putting together a portfolio of experiences. And if that's the case, you need to be trained for that. Mm-hmm. You need to, to learn how to be flexible to enter that sort of a world. And that's exactly what the liberal arts uh trains you to do. It, it, it's those evergreen skills that are useful no matter what, no matter what sort of career, uh, what what sort of work you do, the ability to think, to write, to communicate, to analyze, to discern, to work with other people, uh, to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that are going to cause you to, to be successful at a job, but also to flourish as a person. Right, right. In this information age, how quickly things change that learning how to learn and to not just accept things, not just accept opinions, but to delve in looking for the truth, making those arguments, that's that's essential today, I think. And so that's that's great. There's places like Magdalene where you can go and develop those, those skills, yeah. those habits. That's, that's why we not only have um, philosophy and theology, you know, we also teach geometry and physics. We teach writing. We teach um, music. Music is a class that every student takes all four years because, I mean, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons it it wires the brain to think a certain way, Mm -hmm. as does Latin, as does geometry, as does. So we're, we're trying to help our students think in all of the different ways that God created human, the human mind to think. Um, and it's, it's very broad and it's very beautiful. It is. I was thinking as you were describing the liberal arts and freedom, Pope John Paul II had much to say about the idea of freedom. And I think that's one of those buzzwords that gets corrupted quite easily and frequently. He has such a succinct way of phrasing it, what true freedom actually is. Right, yeah. So often today we, we think of freedom just as the license to do whatever you want, mm-hmm. the absence of restrictions, when actually freedom is, is the ability to achieve a telos, a, a purpose, a goal. So I tell my students, if, if your goal 
is to remain alive and you're being suspended from a tree inside a, you know, a, a prison bars, you know, hanging from a tree and there's a, you know, a pool of piranha underneath you. It's precisely those limitations that's helping you to be free, uh, to helping you achieve your, your telos. Without those limitations, you would fall to your death. Uh, so prior to the question of, am I free, is the deeper question, what should I be doing with my life? What, what am I here for? What is my purpose? And then how can we be free in relation to achieve that? Um, and that's, that's just where so many colleges and universities come up short. They want the freedom, but they won't tell you. Uh, and in fact, they think it's, it's bad manners to tell you what you're here for as a human being on, on the face of the earth, uh, what the telos of humanity is for. Uh, and, and thus their, their freedom is shallow and it's, it's just not true freedom. It is so sad. I mean, especially when you're looking at virtue as, as being that habit sort of, sort of thing here, you've got this, this critical point in, in a person's development when they're just heading off to college to, to kind of throw them into this situation where they're going to develop habits that later on they're going to have to overcome because those habits, if bad, are going to prevent them from, from willing the good, even if they could come to understand it. So now all of a sudden you've created years of work for yourself to overcome these bad habits where in the proper environment, you could have been freed from that slavery, that bondage. Just And so again, yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I, I heard once where it, it takes uh, 21 days of doing something consecutively to form a habit. And if, if, if the first time in your life when you're free from your parents and you're out kind of on your own and you're surrounded by the wrong uh, motivations and, and the wrong peer pressure and, and the wrong environment um, and you engage in, in bad habits, not, not for 21 days, but for four years, they're going to be deeply ingrained, as you said, and very hard to unlearn. But if you start off your independence, so to speak, of four years of cultivating good habits of good time management of daily worship of asking the right questions of spending your time on good books rather than trash, that's just going to have ripple effects for decades. I love these illustrations you've used. Those are great. Yeah, thank you. Um, you made reference to something as we were planning this episode that I'm really intrigued by speaking about Magdalene's small size. And I'd love to hear you talk more about why small learning communities are so powerful, and especially on the heels of, of all you've had to say about Catholic education and the liberal arts. Yeah, um, this has been a, a commitment that that my wife and I have uh have been dedicated to for several decades now. I mean, in fact, the first descriptor of, of our calling uh, was was to help lead a small Christ-centered, faithful, liberal, you know, uh, learning community. I, I'm a triplet. I was, I, I've always been, uh, even in utero, I've, I've always been part of a, a very small, close-knit community. And I think, <laughs> I, I think I'm just kind of wired uh, for that. I think that, um, you know, if if the goal of education is formation, uh, if it's if it's more than just depositing info bites in your cranium, mm -hmm. 
But if it's really about forming the person, the way to do that is through relationship, through through personal relationship. That that's how God created us. Um, he created us to receive the good news from others, uh, the Gentiles from the Jews. He he. He created us to be embodied creatures who who rely upon other people for our nourishment, for our survival, uh, for for everything. I mean, one of the interesting images that that C.S. Lewis presents in *The Great Divorce*, he is uh, he's painting a picture of hell, and interestingly, in hell, anything that you think of in your mind. I want a candy bar, or I want a car, or I want a house. Boom, it's there. It, it appears automatically just by thinking. You think, wow, that's that's actually a description of heaven. That how, Why is he portraying that as a description of hell? Well, you don't need anybody in hell. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to rely upon your neighbor to help bring wood to build a house. You don't have to rely upon uh, somebody else to farm the fields where you get your food. You're, and thus, you just end up being totally isolated. It's just you and only you. You're trapped in the prison of your own self in hell. So, so the need to depend upon others um, and to know the people who you're dependent upon, um, I think is crucial for who God created us to be uh, as human beings. And when it comes to learning, that's all the more so. Everything we've learned, we've learned from somebody else. And I think we learn deeper when we hear other people articulate the understanding. I, I, I was in a, um, a seminar once as an observer at the kind of the beginning of my uh, stint in, in educational administration. And um, the student was going back and forth, back and forth with his professor. The professor was trying to explain this idea um, and the student just wasn't getting it. And another student next to him said, when I thought about it, I kind of thought about it. And then he gave, you know, what many people would have considered to be kind of a, a, a more basic analogy. And the first student said, oh, now I see it. So, you know, he just needed it to be said, to be articulated in a certain way for that aha moment uh, to happen. So when I'm reading by myself or, you know, if I'm doing my education in a pre-recorded, you know, thing online, it's just, it's, I'm going to get out of it the way I already think about it. Uh, but if I've got a community of 15 people around the table, now I've got 15 different lights shining on that, that same object. And it each is illuminating a different facet of understanding uh, yeah. of that object. That's where I think real education takes place. That's different from sitting in an auditorium of 200 students. You, you, you may think you're learning in community, but really you're only hearing from one other person and it's that professor who's just delivering a lecture. But when you're in a seminar with the same amount of people that Jesus gathered around himself and called his disciples, then you, you have the right context in which to ask questions, to explore answers, to articulate them different ways, to see where that logic leads. Uh, that's, that's the exciting context in which uh, learning takes place. So I, I, I'm, I'm committed to the small model. I, I think it's, it's most fitting for who we are as human beings, as, as human persons, uh, for, the, for the way we were meant to relate to other people and the way that our, uh, the way that our minds uh, come to the truth is through others.
obviously a, a huge fan of homeschooling. Um, so where the family unit is just super important. So for me, it's always seemed so strange when you have some of these big schools and you send your children off and you've got this herd of people who are all the same age and you think, when does this naturally ever happen? <laughs> right. um, you know, right. so with the smaller environment, like you're saying, especially when you've got that, the group of, of professors and staff that are, that want to welcome these, these kids into their home, it gives them a model, each, each of these students who are looking for, how do I become Christ-like? How do I become the man or the woman that, that God made me to be? And, oh, look, here's this man that I really admire, and I get to see his family when we go over for dinner or when they stop by the, and this is what a family looks like. And if I think you get big and you just get isolated, as, as strange as it sounds, I guess, I guess this always happens in cities too, but you get big and you become isolated. So you don't see those things anymore. You become removed from reality to some extent. So again, right. I think your situation is ideal for the formation of, of good Catholics, good, good men and women. Absolutely right. Where else in life do you see this sort of artificial environment where you're only surrounded by people within three years of your age? <laughs> um, but when, when they can come over and, and talk to my wife uh, about love and marriage, like we did last night at Pasta with the President, and then have our two-year-old uh, run through the, you know, the kitchen and sit on some of the students' laps. And, uh, you know, then they get down on the floor and play with her. It's, that's, that's where the good stuff is. And uh, one, one of my goals, you asked earlier about one of my goals for the, the college is to get to the point where we can begin building more faculty residences on campus uh, for precisely that reason. I, I like uh, Thomas Jefferson's description of an academical village. Our, our campus is designed to look like a quaint New England village. It's the way it's laid out and the lampposts and, you know, the chapel in the middle and uh, that, that sort of thing. But I, I would love to kind of fill that village in with some more faculty residents uh, so that it can be a, it can look more like the communities that we're training these students to enter rather than the artificial college one. Yeah. That'd be perfect. So ideal if you could, yeah. if that could happen. Yeah. Great. It sure sounds like that really fills out that whole experience with them being able to see people they admire living their lives. Uh, we've talked about this in, in about how homeschool offers us this opportunity for our kids to see how the magic happens, so to speak. Like the laundry doesn't get done automatically. Dinner doesn't magically appear. Here's how that happens. And so it sounds very similar in the community you formed at Magdalene, how the students in that phase of their lives they can see the next stage where that's going and what that will likely be like, how they can, how they can create that for themselves. That's neat. Right. Yeah. We have a, a fiery redheaded two-year-old, um, <laughs> almost three. And one day my wife went uh, to the bathroom for just a couple minutes, came out of the bathroom and couldn't find Rosemary. Uh, mm -hmm. She was nowhere to be found in the house. And so she opened the garage door and, there was her diaper on the ground, but her scooter uh, nowhere to be found. So Rosemary uh -oh. had hopped on her, <laughs> stripped down naked, hopped on the scooter <laughs> and rode down to the college because uh, she wanted to be near the students. She calls sure. them her kids. Uh, I want to oh. be near the kids. So a student called, I think, in a Latin class. And was like, I've got Rosemary on my lap. And, uh, you know, just to be able to, to as you said, see that uh, see the, the, the realities and the messiness of, of real life uh, and, and to make room for it. And uh, 
Yeah, we're not proud of that moment, but it speaks to the <laughs> uh, it speaks to the the whole person real life education that, that you're talking about. That is next level of preparation right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are getting close on the time we asked from you, um, and we want to be respectful of that. Um, if there, if you have time, I'd love to hear any thoughts you have on the importance of continuing to pursue classical education past high school at classical colleges such as Magdalene. And certainly our, our Colby students are, that's what they're receiving now. Uh, the importance of continuing that after they're finished at Colby. Right. Yeah. I, I, I would say that um, if, if truth, goodness, and beauty are worth exploring, they're not only worth exploring into college, but they're worth exploring for the rest of your life. Uh, in other words, we should never get to the point where we've had enough of the classics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, C.S. Lewis said, you know, you should read really good books once every 10 years and the great ones you should read once a year. Because um, each time you come back, you go deeper and deeper and you're, you're able to, to glimpse something uh, that, that you hadn't glimpsed before. And you, you're, you do it in the context that we've been describing, you know, for the past 30 minutes or so um, mm-hmm. with like-minded peers, uh, in the context of a residential community that you're eating and worshiping with, with faculty mentors who are living life together with you. And the insights and the levels of understanding are, are just new every morning, uh, deeper and deeper. Um, I, personally, I'm committed to the, to the notion that the undergraduate experience should be a general experience. The graduate school experience should be um, more specific. That, that's where you should kind of narrow down and, and begin to pursue a particular interest or a particular question or a particular career. We're, we're about to come upon the Winter Olympics. Uh, I, I ask our, our students, if, if you knew that the Olympics were happening in four more years, but they were not going to announce which sports were going to be part of those games until one year prior, what's the best way to make use of the next four years? Do you choose one particular, you know, do you choose the javelin? And you just say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to do this for four years. I'm going to hone those muscles and I'm going to become the, the world's best thrower of a javelin. And then take the risk that the javelin's not offered. The equivalent might be that that career field has been saturated or technology has developed in a way that that is no longer a relevant career field. What's the best way to spend the intervening time? Well, all of those things uh, like balance, hand-eye coordination, cardio, um, just general fitness, in, anything that, uh, that is useful to whatever sport you might want to go. And you spend the next three years doing that, and then you take your fourth year and you specialize once you know the sports that are on offer. I like to think about those three years as the undergraduate experience, and I like to think about that final year as graduate school. So we don't offer majors in particular career fields. We don't offer nursing or engineering or dentistry or or, or things like that. Uh, We're trying to equip students with the evergreen skills that they need as an undergraduate and then encourage them right before you know you're going to enter the job market. Now take a year, get a master's degree, go deeper, go specific, but, but recognize that statistics have it that you will change that career in another five years. And then what, then what are you going to fall back on? You need to fall back on everything you learned and all the habits you, you developed 
in those four years of an undergraduate liberal arts education. So that's the way I think about it. And, and thus, I, I think that um, it, it's, it's way too early to say, you know, I've, I've done classical education uh, in high school, and now I'm going to dive in deep and just narrow my interests and limit my world to one thing. Because I think at, at age 18, I might want to be a journalist or a doctor or what, whatever it would be. Mm-hmm. Again, we're all on this portfolio journey. And um, I, 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 I fear when I, when I see students narrowing their own horizons too quickly. One of the things I always talk to my own children about or, or other people is just intellectual formation as, as even if you go through high school with this phenomenally rich classical program that Colby has, your mind is still developing. And for some people, I mean, it's, it varies by student, but some people, they're just really getting the ability to delve deep by the time they're getting into their 11th, 12th grade years in high school. That's right. And then I've heard a student say before something like, well, I've already read the Iliad. So it's like, if you think that reading the Iliad once in ninth grade has made you a master of the Iliad, you didn't learn anything from those courses. So you need this even more than you know, but and you definitely need to go back because all of the things that you're doing will just be so rich. And that won't be the last time you go through them, hopefully, but you'll keep right. repeating and repeating. Yeah. And I, I already told my wife 24 years ago that I love her, but that doesn't mean that, <laughs> that I should. Yeah. That's uh, good. That's good. <laughs> Check that box. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I, um, I love all your illustrations. These are great. They make everything so clear. I've really gotten so much out of, of all these illustrations you've done. Really. Yeah. Thank you. Really compelling. Okay. Do you have any final thoughts for us as we wrap up this great conversation? Maybe we can end with an invitation uh, to Colby students. Um, This summer, we're doing something a little bit new. We've always run uh, really high quality summer programs, uh, and we're going to continue to do that uh, this summer. Two weeks, it gives students a chance to kind of get a taste of college, to experience all aspects of Magdalene life. They get to form a little choir. They get to sing during... um, daily masses, they get to hike Mount Kearsarge, they get to read great books, all of this. But but this summer, uh, we're, we're launching something new in addition to that, where students can choose one course, they can dive deep in that course, and they can, at the end of their two weeks, uh, they actually get a college credit um, mm-hmm. for having taken that. And we're, we're offering the chance for students to choose um, Latin from Dr. Almanzar or physics or poetry. I'm offering one on the Trinity, love and the good life. Um, Another one on uh, the theology of the body. So these are just wonderful opportunities to pick some fascinating topics, dive deep over two weeks, get a sense of what college is like, and also get a college credit out of it. So um, I would encourage students if they're interested in that. uh, I think we take sophomores on up uh, for those summer programs. Uh, So just visit our website, magdalene.edu. At the bottom, there's a a special yellow banner providing the details of uh, of these summer programs. Just click on that and it'll take you right to what you need to know. But we'd love to see uh, Colby students here. They're they're in the sort of fitting pipeline that we've been talking about, uh, having the soil 
well prepared for them to uh, to get the most out of a, a Magdalene experience. So um, please go to magdalene.edu and, and uh, think and pray about whether that would be um, a good thing for you to do this summer. Now, Bonnie, I was expecting you to say, and we'll post that link in the show notes here, but uh, I'll say it instead, I guess. You know it. <laughs> yep. Feel free. That's right. We will put that link in the show notes. We will put links to recent articles about Magdalene in the show notes. Magdalene has its own podcast from the summit on which uh, Dr. Almazar was recently interviewed by Dr. Messmore. That was a very enjoyable conversation to listen to and turning the tables on on Jordan. It's fun to get him on the other side of the microphone and other episodes the the episode on which you appeared when you were first arriving at, at Magdalene. That was also great. Yeah, thank you. So check out those show notes and we sure appreciate your time today, Dr. Messmore. What a pleasure meeting you and, and conversing with you. It's really been great. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun, and um, I'm so glad that uh, we are uh, partnering together with uh, Colby. So um, thank you so much for having me. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Colby Cast in your favorite podcast app to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.